This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett from the nation's capital. Major Fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. A broadcast week that's different like all the other weeks we're living through right now. Uh, working from home, if you're doing that, stay with it. If you are unable to because you're on the front lines in any capacity, healthcare worker, grocery store worker, anyone else who needs to be out, we thank you. Keep safe, keep doing the work you're doing, and know that all of us who are staying home appreciate the work you do, and we'll all be back together at some time, we hope, in the not-too-distant future. Great show for you this week. Uh, delighted to meet via what a, what a Zoom, uh, which is how we're doing this. Uh, hope someday to meet him in person. I think this is appropriate. The great Tony Hale. Um, oh, wow. That's how about nice. that, Tony? The great Tony Hale. Oh my gosh, um, that started my day off well. <laughs> good, 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 good. Uh, if you are a fan of Veep, and everyone is, and if you're not, well, that's just something I can't help you with. Uh, you know him uh, as the body man, Gary. Uh, Arrested Development, I'm not nearly as familiar with that f- program as many of you might well be, but he's a great character actor there as well. What's the name of the character on Arrested Development? That shows how little I know about the show, Tony. Forgive that's me. That's right. Uh, Buster Bluth. That's right. Name. Nice and alliterative. I love that. And <laughs> anyone who uh, has children or even those who are thinking about having children knows the to- Toy Story franchise. Toy Story 4, Forky, the very same voice of Tony Hale. So, wow. That, that's what gets you. That's what gets you the great. That's just how you – all those things oh, really? get you the great. That yes. did it? That's it. Oh, nice. Thank you. Hey, really? So, so I'm just here to let you know you've tapped out. That's it. You don't need to do any more. Really? Okay. That's it. Okay. Wow. I thought this. I thought the quarantine could turn dark. Turn yeah. dark. But now it got even got darker. Uh, no, it's great to meet you. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, let's just start with where you are, literally, not millennial, literally, but actually, literally. How how are you doing? How are you holding up? I'm good. I'm in my daughter's room because she's using the office for school, so that's great. Um, uh, no, but it's her, what she's doing is much more important than what I'm doing. Not to say this is not important. Um, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a new normal, you know, we're all kind of adjusting. And as you mentioned in your introduction, I just am so thankful to everybody who's sacrificed, you know, showing so much sacrifice and risking their lives on the front lines. And if we can stay home and, and decrease their workload, the better. 
And that's the reason to stay home. Uh, we're not sacrificing. We're not on. Uh, we're not imprisoning ourselves. We're doing something for the greater good. And the greater good is really, really important right now. Uh, California mm-hmm. uh, had a bit of a scare, but it has found its way to manage the situation because it started social distancing earlier. Other states are beginning to bend that curve, but the toll in this country has been sadly calculable. We can count the numbers, and they're mm-hmm. deeply disturbing and horrifying at so many levels, not just cases, hospitalizations, and the worst mm-hmm. outcome of all death. We're, it's all on all of our minds. Tony, how have you uh, adapted to that uh, reality, and how is it that you look at your career and what you want to, the work you want to get back to, and what kind of signals is the entertainment world getting about when it might be able to go back to work and create the kind of entertainment that we love and crave so much at times like this? Yeah, I don't. I mean, how we're adapting is, I think everybody's obviously is in the same boat, and you. I mean, I will say before this, I kind of found myself poo-pooing technology a little bit because I felt like it was many people were using it as a weapon, which they were at times, and it was kind of isolating to people. But I've done a 180 on that. I mean, it has really brought our world together, and I'm incredibly grateful. I think Zoom is probably going to be on the cover of Time magazine for 2020 because it's just it's made such a difference in bringing us together. And we're adapting. You know, we've had we have like my wife and I will there'll be like zoom birthday parties for friends over the weekend. And I think I've probably done more social distancing drinking than I've ever done socially through having cocktails online with people. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, um, you know, it's everybody's, everybody's trying to make the best of it. And also just trying to find the joy in the everyday. Like, you know, we just kind of spending more time with, we have a 14 year old daughter and, each one in the family, you know, chooses, you know, what's for dinner that night and what games we're going to play and all that stuff. So there's a lot of, you know, beauty in that, which I'm really grateful for. But it's definitely a, it's definitely a, a turn for everybody. So uh, I have three children. They're much older than your daughter. But when they were younger and things were happening, um, there would be times they'd ask me questions about what's going on in the uh, outside world. Uh, I had conversations about the first Iraq war, the second Iraq war. Um some of my two of my children were old enough just to have a dim recollection of 9/11. They were we had to bring them home from school. Uh, how have you and your wife and your daughter sort of worked through explaining what this is all about? How much has that been a part of your family experience? Yeah, yeah that's a great question. I mean, so much as a parent, and I'm sure parents everywhere can relate to this. Is you know, it is scary. It's it's not my daughter's in the eighth grade this year, and taking them away from their social circles especially for the kids that are seniors in high schools or seniors in college, they're losing out on all of their senior activities. That's really tough and trying to encourage them, but also with our daughter, you know, just trying to give her more of a bigger picture of what's going on of kind of like, it's our responsibility to stay home. You know, we're really helping because I mean, obviously when I was that age, I never really thought big picture, you know? So I was always just like, you know, I wanted to see my friends and so just trying to constantly give that big picture. It's also, you know, it's very, I, she just got off a two week spring break. And I'll tell you, her parents' faces are not the faces she wanted to see every day. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so like, we tried to like, you know, we just tried trying to make the best of it. And, and you know, we've, we've also had kind of discussions about how, you know, this is almost a, um, I don't know how to put this, but it, it's like when this wasn't going on, I think everybody kind of acted as though we knew what was going to happen tomorrow. 
It's like, oh yeah, we know this is going to happen in this, but no, we're never promised tomorrow. We really mm-hmm. aren't. No. And this is kind of a tangible expression of that, you know, like, not that it's not that dark, but it's like, we're all living in very much of an unknown right now. There's a lot of uncertainty, but the fact is we've always kind of lived in that uncertainty and we're a lot stronger than we think we are. You know, and we somehow manage of kind of walking in that kind of uncertainty and making the best of it. But this is just kind of a, a wake up. Does that make sense? I don't know if that makes sure. sense. I mean, yeah. uh, we're, we're, we're discovering reservoirs, it seems to me, of resilience and adaptability that we didn't think we might, we might not have thought we had. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And just kind of those, a lot of those discussions and um, I don't, and you mentioned the arts. <laughs> I think it's, it's wild that arts education and, and the arts is, it's always, it's always a struggle to get funding many times for that. And you can always hear things of like schools losing funding for the arts or the government losing. And it's like times like this, you see the value of, I mean, how many TV shows have you watched? Movies, watching plays online or concerts or choirs. I mean, the, the arts are so valid during this time to just give us some, give us some hope and something to spend our time with. Exactly. To engage us, uh, mind, body, and spirit. But also, I wonder if you are finding ways to be more imaginative. Uh, when I was a kid, there was this movement in the late 70s and the early 80s to have like imaginariums. Like, it's not an aquarium, it's a place where your imagination runs free. It was kind of kitschy. But when you can't go outside, uh, your adventure space is pretty limited, and your imagination needs to sort of uh, take over. And how have you uh, put that together? Um, I wish I could say I was parent of the year and I had all these, <laughs> these, these wonderful <laughs> projects, projects we've created and imagineering experiences. That's the thing is like, you'll, I look on Facebook or Instagram and I see all these parents doing all these amazing things. And I'm like, oh, wow. I got and then you're thinking up. to yourself, well, well like lapped again. <laughs> exactly. Just like um, I was in the rest of my life, lapped again. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe I'm disclosing a little bit too much about my career. Who knows? <laughs> Um, but, um, we do, I will say we have cooked a lot. We like, we love to like, um, my daughter and I will bake together and she does, we do these, like, <laughs> we'll do, have you heard of TikTok? That kind of Yes, TikTok of course. Thing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so we'll do TikToks together, but it's, I do see some stuff on, um, Facebook and, you know, it's, you're just like, wow, some people are getting really creative and it's incredibly inspiring. And of course, of course, when you're watching, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then the next day you're like, Eh, what reality show is well, Let's make some more cookies, yeah. <laughs> That's the voice of Tony Hill. On the other side of the break, we'll talk more about cooking because I know he's a fan, as I am, of the Food Network show Chopped and other things about the great things that he does in his career. More with Tony Hill in a second. I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. It's 3 o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. 
Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Back with the great Tony Hale. Tony, you're a, fr- you're a fan of Chopped, correct? Yeah, I'm pretty much a fan of all all cooking shows. I haven't seen them in a long time, but I, I'm, I love just the... <laughs> Especially on Chop, like just you don't know the ingredients. I think my daughter, a long time ago, we did something like that where it's like we had five ingredients and you had to make something and right. stuff like that. It's really fun. Cheetos, plantains, uh, root beer, and uh, some sort of uh, like a quail egg, and then uh, oh god, halibut. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. That sounds delicious. <laughs> Doesn't that sound great? Ever aspire to be a chef? No. Okay. <laughs> One hundred percent not. My sister, my sister is has got that gift. She's a, she doesn't do it uh, for her work, but she is a gourmet chef, and it's her cooking is unbelievable. That's great. That's great. So Veep, it is a show people love not only in Washington but across the country. Um, what is the inspiration for your character? What did you do to learn about that character and if you were to try to explain to somebody what a body person does what what would you say um oh well i think my my character is probably i think gives body men a bad name because he was kind of a he was i met (laughs) reggie love who was the body man to to obama for many years and i just all i did was apologize i was like i'm sorry i'm giving your your role just so much shame um but um what a body man does is he kind of he pretty much, well, my character pretty much had whatever Selena Meyer, who was played by Julie Louis-Dreyfus, uh, whatever she needed, and I had it in this bag. And I would the Leviathan. follow her around. The Leviathan, thank you. He, to calling it a bag was very insulting. He, he, he called it a Leviathan. Um, <laughs> but it was, he had, you know, whatever speech she needed, or if she needed lipstick, or hand sanitizer, or whatever, he was just completely on it. And my character... Typically, when people are what's called a body man, they do it for two or three years, and they're probably late twenties, early thirties for a politician. And then uh, it's very exhausting. You're, you're, you're pretty, your life is pretty much this politician twenty four seven, and you do it for two or three years, and then you move on to something else. My character did it in, into his forties <laughs> because he had no life outside of Selena Meyer. His, her identity was his identity, and he just worshipped her. So he couldn't imagine life without her. So he just kept going and and right. she abused that very much. And and this is a real thing in politics. It's not fictitious. Uh the body no. person is only allowed to rest when the body rests, not theirs, the body that they're with, meaning the principal, yeah. the the political figure. Yeah. And I would even add to that when Selena Meyer was at rest, that I wasn't even at rest. I, I that was I did not even use that as a time to rest. I would just watch her like a serial killer. Just waiting for <laughs> waiting for any inch of life, and then I would just be there. Exactly. And did you obviously you met Reggie Love? Did you meet anybody else who had done this work? I did. When before we shot the um, before we shot the pilot, we went to D.C. and kind of met some people who had done our roles. And I met this gentleman and um, just heard about his life and just how he when he was in this role, like he never saw his family. He never rarely saw his girlfriend. I mean, he just, he was consumed with this politician and, um, 
it was really good just to ask him questions and all this kind of stuff. And then obviously take, <laughs> take that scenario and just put it on steroids in Gary's life. Exactly. Um, just to, just to add to the comedy. And it has often been said of Veep and Arrested Development, I haven't watched it, but I've read quite a, quite a bit about it, that they're ensemble shows. But I wonder if that's actually true. Is it is it true that they're genuine ensembles, or is there one driving actor or actress that, that the ensemble either feeds off of, feeds into? Hmm. How does that? How, how do you look at that? I mean, yeah, it's a great question. I think in both scenarios, Arrested and Veep, there was a leading character because Jason Bateman is for Arrested and Julia was for Veep. And I think when it's with the ensemble thing, I it, it, you kind of look at it like they are the lead actors, but then every one of us is a supporting actor. We support her, especially me. I support her character all the time. And it's with, and, and Jason, for instance, on Arrested, he was just surrounded by these crazies, but he had to have kind of the same, he, he did have to have the same comic timing because he had to bounce off the crazy so well. And so without kind of that ensemble around those leads, you don't have that chemistry and the back and forth. And, you know, especially with Julia and I, there was a lot of physicality. So like yes. she would walk into a room and she would just drop her coat and I would have to be there to catch it. We would, we would, we would have these fantastic scripts written by the writers, but then we'd get into a scene and we'd try to find the physicality in it, how to make it funnier. And with that, so you need that ensemble, yeah. And tell the audience how that works. How much time did you have to work through that? As I saw some of your interviews, there was what I what I suspect is a gift for actors is a bit of time between mm-hmm. yeah. the script and the actual shooting, so you could work through some of this or a lot of it. Yeah, which which to your point was a gift because typically in television film you're not given rehearsal time like you are in theater. In theater, obviously, you're given a tremendous amount of time to rehearse. In TV and film, sometimes you just show up that day and you shoot it and you're done and you never do it again. So with this, with Veep, it was very unique because especially with when the show was, um, uh, the head the head person was Armando Yanucci, we would spend weeks and weeks on rehearsal just to see if the material was gelling, if the bits were working, if the physicality was working. And then when we got on set, it really had found its rhythm. So that is an incredibly unique situation. And how is it that you know that, that something is working and something is landing in that preparatory process? Yeah, that's another great question. I think it's just instinctual because especially with Julie and I, we are so, we're so close in the scenes together that you could just, you could feel the rhythm when it's working and it, it felt like we were riding a comic wave together. It was just flowing. And the challenge with TV and film, unlike theaters, you have no audience. And actually, nobody on set is allowed to speak or laugh because you got to stay quiet. So you're just sitting there and you're just hoping like, because with theater, you have that instant gratification as to whether it's working or not. Whereas TV and film, you're just kind of like, all right, let's hope for the best. But we are so, um, I think maybe actors, we're such needy, emotional people that if there was like a distant chuckle in front of the video monitors rooms away, we could hear that chuckle. Right, right, think, right. Oh, this yes. is working. You know, or if like a cameraman, if like we saw a smile or we saw shoulders shaking, we were like, oh, it's working. Right. So like we were so needing that, you know, almost affirmation as to whether it was working and then our own kind of feeling if, if, it, if we thought it was funny ourselves. Right. You're like, you're like having these earthquake monitors for any tremors of suppressed laughter <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> Within yeah. a six block radius or something. <laughs> Just desperate. Would you guys would you guys crack up? 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Constantly. And I, I, Julia, I cracked up so many times that there was one time we were in a scene and Julia turned to me and she says, Tony, you know, you're not watching the show. You're in the show. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, but I think it's a, I think it's a really funny show. It's a really funny show. I I think it's a really funny show. However, I, I will say I've gotten so much like, you know, People have said that I was the one that broke the most. Not true. Not true. I, I, as a gift, as a gift to the cast, I put together a little flash drive of all the gag reels of all the seasons when we were all done. And I will bring an accountant in and count how many times Julie Louis Dreyfus broke because she's she's the one who breaks the most. Right. Hands down. No doubt. No doubt. But that's the privilege of the Veep. You know, uh, you can you can yeah, do exactly. that, and, and and everyone has exactly. to just follow along. Um, totally. You talked about the physicality of your relationship within the show, and there are times that it's almost balletic the way I the way the way you move and to pick things up, and that's part of the grace. That's part of how your character embodies this particular role. But how much before you became this great star did you think about that's the physicality kind of, of comedy, the physicality of comedy, not just the spoken word or the timing, but the physical nature of it? Yeah, I mean, I I love that stuff. I grew up um, loving Tim Conway, loving Bob Newhart, um, the Carol Burnett show. Tim Conway on that show, I would watch him all the time, and he could do the smallest thing, and it was funny. Um, he never pushed the comedy. He just kind of trusted that he was given these crazy circumstances and these sketches, and he could do like an eye movement or like a small gesture with his hand, and it was funny. Um, so I really, and also my character on Veep, I was never really allowed, Selena never let me speak. I just, I like, <laughs> I wasn't even called a, a bitchy mime on the show. So like, I, I just stood behind her wide eyed. And so I kind of relied on nonverbal to kind of communicate and all that kind of stuff. So it was fun to kind of learn this whole new physical language with Gary, because a lot of it was just kind of this language of grunting or, or an eyebrow or stuff like that. You know, that's the voice of Tony Hale, the great Tony Hale, more with him, physicality of comedy, Tim Conway, Harvey Corman, and all the rest. When we come back, I'm major Garrett. This is the takeout. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Back with the great Tony Hale. We were talking about the physicality of comedy, and he mentioned Tim Conway. Uh, Anyone of our generation who knew The Carol Burnett Show knew the skits that he and Harvey Korman would put together uh, can remember laughing uproariously at that. And if you haven't seen it, folks, and I think Tony will, the great Tony Hale will back me up on this, (laughs) go to YouTube and find the Tim Conway, Harvey Korman sketch where Tim Conway is a dentist. I'm yes, just I was just about to say that. Yes, yes, that's the perfect one. That's the perfect one. He numbs his legs and his arms. I'm tell- take our advice, ladies and gentlemen. Just take our advice. If you haven't seen it, go find it because you got so plenty good. of time at home and you'll laugh, laugh, laugh. It's also so fluid. It's so that's another thing that Tim Conway did so well was his it was so organic in the way he did it and it just happened very naturally oh he was the best so veep uh you obviously know in your travels meeting people in washington and preparing for the show uh, it's not that funny in real life uh dc yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
really, I watch the show no. and I sometimes think that show is a combination of all the things that the consultants that help you with the show wish they had thought of in like 70 different incarnations of their life, but never thought of in the moment, but thought of a week later. All these biting <laughs> lines, all this great repartee is all the things that they wish they had said in the moment, but now there's a show where they can have, have someone say it for them in the moment, and it's really, really funny. Oh, my gosh. It's also, I, this is one of the main reasons, not one of the main reasons, but one of the reasons I miss it is, is it was, you know, when you're watching politics on the news, you, sometimes you want to laugh because it's so <laughs> crazy, but you have kind of a guilt attached to it for laughing because it's real life. And I felt like Veep was this kind of political outlet where it gave you the freedom to laugh. No doubt. You know, it was something that I could, okay, I don't have such a guilt <laughs> laughing at this as I do at CNN. Exactly. And uh, true story. So if you watch the credits crawl after the show, you'll see a name who's a contributor, Eric Lesser. Mm -hmm. I know Eric Lesser. I met him on the Obama campaign when he was a bag handler on the Obama campaign in 2007 and 2008. He's now an esteemed member of the Massachusetts State Legislature, but he was a consultant on the show. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, here's a guy who was in politics. Here's a guy who was in all the rooms. Here's a guy who saw a lot of these conversations. And he's someone who is helping either the writers or advising or in some kind of capacity worthy of, a, of a, a credit line. And I think, I assume, you you brought in a lot of people like that who actually brought their own perspective from a real life in politics to add some authenticity and unrevealed humor to the show itself. Yeah, we did. And I was like, even uh, Frank Rich was, a, was one of the producers and he had a lot of... Um, consultants, political friends, political consultant friends that came in and helped us out. And it was, it did, <laughs> the, the scary part about it is when we were doing the show, um, we would go to DC or we would hear things. They're like, you have no idea how this is, that this is actually happening or how this is very much real. And I'm like, please don't say that out loud. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Um, but like we would, I remember one time we were at DC and these people would come up to us and I get it. I, this is one of the reasons I used to, I, I also, another reason I liked Veep is years ago when we started, I felt like it gave a little bit of a slice of what was going on behind the scenes and kind of rather than all of these sound bites and all that kind of stuff. But people would come up to us in DC and be like, Oh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm I'm Dan in my office, and Dan's one of the characters on V. Right, like, of course. I'm Dan, yes. I'm Dan on my office, and then someone else would say, "Oh, I'm Amy," and right. I'm like, "Why, why, <laughs> why are you saying this? These are horrible people. These are horrible characters. That does not encourage me." That, right. That's you know, it's we're like, "Oh yeah, I'm the Jonah in mine." I'm like, "Jonah is an atrocious." Human being. Really? Someone cop to that? Really? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. no. That's you're oh, pulling my yeah. leg. Nobody cop to Jonah. Don't tell me oh. that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I think they'll kind of use it as a badge of honor. <laughs> well, like, only wow. a Jonah would, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Um, have you ever thought about if you did have a job in a West Wing, what it would you want, what you'd want it to be? Um. Maybe just uh, the the encourager, <laughs> mm. special just... assistant to the president for encouragement. <laughs> well, I just think um, a little long say... on a business card, but you know we can work it out. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, I will say, like, I mean, it, it, obviously the the person that's in the head right now is um, not the most sympathetic person, but I think there's a lot of people 
who work in DC who are really um, who are really doing their best and are really um, trying to be compassionate and trying to see and hear others. And I feel like it's a pressure cooker, man. It's like, and I, I just, I, I would want to encourage those people because I think that's, it's a really hard environment to be in, I think. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I've said this before about my show, and I'm, I'm really glad you agreed to talk to me. Uh, one of the reasons I created the show was to let people know that people do not come to Washington to destroy the country. They just don't. Yeah. I've been in Washington since 1990. I have met people on both sides of the aisle who are deeply passionate, work really hard, do things that they believe are right for the things that they believe are the right reasons. And they're here mm-hmm. to make something better. And they're not here to destroy the country. But one of the subversive goals of my show is to let people know, even people you disagree with are not here to make your life worse. They're here because they have a set of beliefs and they work really hard mm-hmm. at them. And it's not as easy as it looks. If it looks easy, it's harder. And there are a lot of Stakes involved and emotions involved Mm -hmm. and projection involved. You've got to put yourself out and take a lot of heat to do what people do in this city. Mm -hmm. And even to add to that, I don't think it's just I don't think it's just politics. It's just in life. You're going to come across those people and you you're going to for you to for you to grow as a person and to really learn and gain empathy in our human race, you're going to have to connect to people with differing beliefs and thoughts and learn how to communicate. You know, so it's, I don't think it's just in the political realm, you know? And uh, I want to ask you this, uh, sort of going back to your actual life, not your actor life. um, How did you spend Easter? And I know you are someone who, um, when you were in New York early in your acting career, you created a group that was open to and encouraging of people of a strong Christian faith. How, how was mm-hmm. Easter for you? How, and, and how do you find faith involving itself in this actual experience we're going through day by day? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, Easter was uh, unique as it was, for, <laughs> as it was for everybody. We, my family and I sat in our living room and we watched uh, our, our church have their service online and just, you know, they did a beautiful job. The choir was all in their separate houses and they combined it in this kind of virtual choir and it was really beautiful. And I mean, I, um, I get a lot of, I think just not necessarily in this situation, but I think just in life, knowing that the fact that we're spinning on a planet, which is crazy, I get a lot of assurance knowing that um, God is with me and gives me strength and peace during times like this. Um, there's a lot of questions that are not going to be answered. Uh, I don't have the answers to all the questions, but um, having a presence that's um, a higher power that's maybe sees a bigger picture is very comforting to me. Um, and I think in relation to just kind of, since we were just kind of talking about politics, um, well, I won't get into that. <laughs> but it's, it's, um, I think, uh, anyways, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> sure, sure. But I saw you on the Colbert show, Stephen Colbert show, and you, in uh, your phraseology, dropped some Philippians. Uh, are there oh, yeah. any verses that have been particularly meaningful for you in this period or resonant to you in this period? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I, I think the ones that are always resonant are, um, there's one that talks about the fruits of the Spirit, meaning... There's um, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And 
I'm not at all a master of all of those, but hopefully I'm working on two or three of those on a good day. And it's a guideline, especially during times like this, of how to treat each other um, and the grace and empathy to give each other. Um, and then the other one is, I think I mentioned, might have mentioned on the Colbert show, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God um, so that the peace of God will come over you. And I think I, that's what I, for my faith of just having a God that I can vent to and I can be very honest to and I can cuss to and I can have many questions and just having that space. And there's many times that I am filled with peace. That's the voice of the great Tony Hale. More on that conversation, sometimes with cuss words, with the <laughs> man above. When we come back, I'm Major Garrett. This is The Takeout. From CBS News, this is The Takeout. With Major Garrett. Welcome back with the great Tony Hale. He of Veep, Arrested Development, Toy Story 4, and many other great productions of a theatrical and entertainment nature. Uh, Let's continue that conversation. I don't want to dwell for the remainder of this segment, but you said something I think is really important, Tony. This relationship, this conversation that you have with God that is sometimes either filled with questions, maybe filled with a little bit of anger and a little bit of um, ribald language. Um, People talk about a personal relationship with God. Do you think that you have one? Do you aspire to that? How does it factor into your life? I do. I mean, I I, I do feel like I do have a relationship with God. It's, um, and it is filled with all of that, what you just said. It's, it's filled with um, many questions. It's filled with many emotions. Um, it's, um, and I think about, you know. And is that what make it, is that what helps make it real? Yeah. I mean, I look at the relationship I have with my wife. Um, my wife and I have been married 17 years. That has been filled with fights. That has been filled with many different emotions. That has been filled with questions. That has been filled with intimacy. That has been filled with the roller coaster of emotions. And that's the same way as my relationship with God. Um, and there is, um, but there's, it's, it's hard to explain just the assurance that I gain. And this is for me, I can't speak to anybody else's um, spiritual journey, but for me, it is, it is a real um, cornerstone for me of just having that higher power, having God in my life. Um, it really is. Excellent. Um, I saw you do something with Julie Louis Dreyfus for direct relief. Tell my audience a little bit about that. Oh yeah, we um, we uh, she it was actually her idea, and she we were just kind of having a conversation about the on Insta Live, which is pretty fascinating. I, that was like the second time I'd done it, but um, we're just talking about the V pilot and the the story behind the story and fun stories and times we broke, and then all the money that was raised during the conversation was going to direct relief, which is providing a lot of protective protective gear for those that are on the front lines. Um, it's just an incredible organization. So we raised $25,000. So that was very exciting. Fantastic. And is there a way that my audience can find direct relief? Yeah, I believe it's, I think it's just directrelief.com. Let me, let me check. Google it, folks. That's what the machine is for. 
and donate uh, as much as you can. And I also saw that you were reading children's books on YouTube. What's that about? Oh, yeah. Well, I, um, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I, I read, well, I did this children's book years ago called Archibald's Next Big Thing. And it, um, it kind of came about because when I, when I booked Arrested Development years ago, it was kind of my big thing. And I realized when I got my dream, when I got my big thing, I was still looking to my next thing. And it was a big lesson of like, wow, I had not been present for most of my life. So I did that children's book and that's the, what I was reading, I think, on YouTube. Um, and I just love the story. It's about this little chicken who gets this card in the mail that says your big thing is here. And he's like, where? And he goes on all these great adventures. But every time he's on an adventure, he's like, I got to get to my next big thing. And this bee comes along. It's like, you got to just be, man. Right. And in the end, <laughs> in the end, he realizes that the, the card is right, is that your big thing is right here. Like my big thing is talking to you right now. That's my big thing. And then it became a series on Netflix, which has been just an absolute joy. And now Archibald sees everything like it's a big thing. And his added, he, this chicken has pretty much become my role model because he just sees the best in everyone, the best in every situation. He goes, he just kind of takes mistakes for what they are and goes with it. And lives in the moment. And he tries to live in the moment. Yeah. And I'm, that's a daily practice for me, big time. Hard, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying your big thing is uh, talking to me. I guarantee you it's a bigger thing for me. Just <laughs> no. we're laying that out flat out. Okay. <laughs> no. No. So talk to me about Forky and Toy Story. Is it a different thing to be a audio actor? Um, it is. It is. Um, I was intimidated. In all honesty, I was intimidated by it at first because so much of my kind of comic history was physical, was kind of in the eyes and, um, you know, the nerves and all that kind of like just the kind of physicality of comedy. Um, but I kind of realized when I've done it a lot more that I'm doing the same thing I would in front of, in front of a camera as I am in front of a microphone. And then hopefully the same kind of character and emotion and energy is relayed through the voice. So I'm just as goofy as I am in front of the microphone as I am in front of the camera. And did the franchise itself intimidate you? Oh yeah, sure. Uh, up until, up until Toy Story 4, was released i was convinced i was going to be replaced <laughs> i was like so they're going to wake up and realize they made a huge mistake and i'm going to be replaced yeah. right there would, there would be a, there would be a phone call and there'd be a very stern voice on the other end of the line saying you know we were just trying you out <laughs> yeah exactly we've got jack black on the call and he's going to take over um but um i uh i just like i loved it and the people at pixar I just, and the whole story of Toy Story, which I just think is, I mean, it's always been beautiful, but Forky's story specific, you know, he came into this world thinking he was trash, that he was there to help people eat chili and go to the trash. And Woody comes along, he's like, you're made for more. You're made right. to love and be loved. And I mean, my God, who doesn't need to hear that? You know, it's a really beautiful message. And as our, and I, that's the enduring quality of Toy Story. The, the stories hold up and the stories not only capture our imagination, but for anyone who's uh, watched the movies as an adult, watched them with their children, watched their children grow up with those movies, um, at least in my experience, I don't know what it's like in your household. My kids and I, at the times when they were watching, we all cried at the same scenes. It was all oh, a big yeah. event. It was all really? a big event. Yeah. Not to mention how, in, how just 
it's how the eye candy of it, how beautiful these movies are and the amount of, because, you know, when the actors go out and we kind of promote the movie, obviously the spotlight is, is on us, but the spotlight should be on these animators because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of work on these, on these films and just the detail and Bo Peep in the latest movie, I mean, all of them, but in the latest specifically, because the technology has gotten so good, I mean, her skin, it looked like, a, it looked like China and it looked like China <laughs> speaking, you know, it's just, and it's, that's like lighting and the artistry and it's just wild. I mean, the, the work these people put into it. And if I understand this, you do this by yourself. There's, you, you just go to a, you just go to a sound room. Is that right? There's, so there's, you're not interacting. Is that how it works? Yeah. I mean, it's most, most of the animation I do, you're kind of in this booth and then the writer and director and all of them are on the other side of the glass. And, and then you kind of do your thing and then all the sound goes off in your headphones. And then you just kind of see their mouths moving. And you're convinced they're talking badly about you. Um, <laughs> but with, with Pixar, when I did Toy Story, it was very unique because we were all in the same room. So I was with the writer and Josh Cooley and the producers and, and not the other actors because we had to do separate just because I'm sure scheduling, but with the writers and directors. And it was this kind of communal experience of just that creative process, which I was really grateful for. That is the voice of the great Tony Hale for our radio audience. Sadly, we have to leave you, but if you want to hear more of this conversation, go to the Takeout Outtake Especial on all of our podcast platforms. And for those of you who are already there, stay tuned for that. Coming up next, I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. And boy, are you glad you're here because you're going to find out something that those who only listen to the main show didn't hear, which is Tony Hale, the great Tony Hale. He of Veep, Arrested Development, and Toy, Toy Story 4 fame didn't even know what my name was. I mean, he heard Major <laughs> Garrett, but thought it was like some big... Like like a, someone hacked my name or something, you know. That it was just I it was a, like a, put a fun on. nickname. Like let's call him Major. <laughs> let's call him. Yes, yes. Let, let's torture this child for his entire life because, of course, no. at age five he had to wear glasses. So in kindergarten he was major and had glasses, and that was a great start to life. Let me tell you. No, I thought it was something like if somebody called me like Captain Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, uh, we just left was. off the we just left off the kangaroo part, you know, major kangaroo or something. Yeah, no, it's an actual name. I'll, I'll I love I'll, it. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm in. It just yeah. shows my ignorance. Yeah, that I love it. It's a pure Veep line right there. No, full, it's not. full of saccharine insincerity like right there. Let me tell you right now how boring Tony Hale is. Good lord, I'd rather something like major. And you're not even a Tony Hale, are you? Yeah, I'm Anth I was born Anthony Hale. And then okay. for some reason in middle school, I was like, I don't like the name Anthony, and I'm changing it to Tony. And then I'm like, what's wrong with Anthony? I like the name Anthony. I don't know why I changed it. Exactly. <clears throat> so what's next for you At one, once we are on the other side of this situation? Because right now you're, you're not working. Nobody's working uh, in Hollywood or the entertainment industry or all but essential industries uh, and workforces. And we thank them for doing that work. Uh, what kind of things uh, are you either thinking about or hope to find within your range in the next five, six years? Oh, big question, question. I know. Big question. I know. <laughs> no, I love it. Don't you um, dare ask me I, that. <laughs> I, um, 
Well, I mean, it's it's nice to kind of do other work. Like there's this movie called To the Stars coming out that um, Martha Stevens directed about this kind of small town in Oklahoma that I did. That's a really, it's kind of a departure from what I typically do. And so that's really fun. Really, it was really fun. It's a beautiful movie. Um, and I, I'm about to start shooting a Hulu show based on this children's series called The Mysterious Benedict Society. And um, I'm really excited about that. We were postponed uh, because of everything going on now, but I'm excited to get involved in that. And I'm going to play Benedict. And it's just, it's a really, talk about, it, it's a really beautiful story about empathy and how there's a lot of negative messages coming into the world and how, you know, hopefully training and teaching kids to be more empathetic. Excellent. Excellent. So, Tony, we have uh, three threshold questions at this uh, program, and our audience loves the answers because, like our conversation, they reveal a little bit about the personality of the person who has been kind enough to join us. So, in no particular order, take these in whatever order you prefer, the most influential book in your life, uh, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're indulging yourself musically, uh, like putting in your earbuds or your super noise-canceling headphones, what kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to? Um, I'm most likely to listen to. Uh, well, a book, I mean, most influential book, aside from the Bible, would yes, be... Yes, we get that um, a lot, and that's perfectly acceptable. We love that answer. But beyond beyond that, if you want to yeah, add yeah. to it, you don't have to. If you want there's to, that's a, up to you. No, there's a book called Heinz Feet on High Places, which was a... It was kind of a an allegory of this little deer named Much Afraid who's trying to get to the high places. And it's a just a really, it's a very simple book, but I just, that's always kind of stuck with me. Um, and what's, and what's the title again? The, the title called, again? It's called Heinz Feet on High Places. Excellent. Okay, beautiful. Haven't heard that one before. Um, and then... Uh, movie? Muse, oh, movie. Uh, there's a movie called uh, Punch Drunk Love by Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh yes. That, um, actually, there's two movies. One, yeah, Punch Drug Love by Paul Thomas Anderson, and um, uh, uh, I just completely forgot the other one. It was by Craig Gillespie. Oh, shoot, about the blow up. Ryan Reynolds. I can't believe I'm blanking on the name. I've, anyways, there's another. It's about Ryan Reynolds has this blow up doll, and he. Um, not That's Ryan enough Reynolds. keywords. I think most Ryan, people can find it. No, Ryan Gosling. Sorry, Ryan Gosling has it. And it's just a story about kind of the power of community. It's a really a beautiful – I can't believe I'm blanking on this movie. Anyways, those movies made big – I love both of those. Um, music, I really um, love – I love like Patty Griffin. Um, I love uh, – I also really love a lot of like gospel music, but like folk um kind of uh alternative gospel music yeah that's great that's great um and have you and this kind of doubles back to a question i asked near the top have you gotten any feeling or signals within the industry of when you can go back to work um i think we're and everybody's kind of in the same boat i think we're just kind of everybody is listening to the news each day about right and just writing and, it out and the curve and seeing where it is um I think that there is some comfort to be found that everybody's in the same boat. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's um, just knowing that we're all really, nobody has the answers. We're just trying to see how this plays out um, and just, you know, doing the best we can really. So it's, I don't know if there's really ever any dates that have, I think honestly, when you set a date, it's dangerous. Probably um, so. You know, so it's, we're kind of just taking it day to day. 
Excellent. As we, are we all. Tony Hale, it's been a great pleasure to meet you. Great pleasure to talk to you. Uh, all the best to you, your wife, your daughter, oh, thank everyone you in too. Los Angeles, everyone in California, everyone everywhere. For those of us staying inside, stay there until yes. further notice. And for those who are working hard, we are blessed to have oh you. Gosh. Thank you for those doing work, the work you're doing. Those workers are just angels. Angels. And, and uh, remember what Tony and Julie Louis Dreyfus put together, Direct Relief. Go find it. Go contribute. And Tony... Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seegers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.